Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, everyone. This is Lash Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, we have Tony East from Locked On Pacers to talk about the Glenn Robinson III signing. Ben, Tony, and I talk Robinson's fit in Detroit, the free agent signings the Pistons have and have not made, and whether or not the Pistons can overtake the Pacers in the Eastern Conference. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you guys are looking for. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. Uh, I'm joined today by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Back at it. Good to be back. Yeah, man. It's good to, it's good to be talking about like actual real-life Pistons stuff. Uh, in order to do that, though, we've got uh, Tony East from uh, the host of Locked On Pacers, and he writes for 8.9 Seconds, which is uh, the Indiana Pacers fan-sided blog. Tony, how are you doing? doing good i'm excited to talk about uh some pistons central division rivals and brawl rivals yeah we went uh three and one against the playoff team for uh, once last season and, gone uh, more for some lanceness uh, if only uh <laughs> so no but the reason we have you on is to talk about a guy the pistons signed from the pacers glenn robinson the third uh six six wing out of michigan uh only played uh, missed 60 or you missed a big chunk of last season with a really nasty, nasty ankle injury. Uh, Detroit got him for uh, just under the mini med level on, in a team option on the second year. Ben, what do you, uh, what do you think about Glenn Robinson? The third, I know you're a Michigan guy. So what did you, uh, you remember him from, from back in his college days? What'd you, uh, what'd you think of him then? And what do you think of him now? Yeah. So, I mean, I watched a fair bit of his teams, uh, you know, that was a pretty special uh, group of players. Um, things that stood out to me, when he was in college, first of all, being a product of John Beeline's system, um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Coach Beeline's offensive schemes, and I'm a fan of what he gets out of his players. So I think that's a positive thing. Um, second thing I really remember thinking about Glenn Robinson the third was that uh, he didn't really grow into himself until his sophomore season, I think. Uh, he's, he was super athletic, um, jumped well but was lacking some of the finer skills. Didn't really have much of a jump shot um, early on in his college career. Um, But to me, of that group of guys at Michigan for those couple years, he seemed like the guy who had 
potentially the most NBA ready type of body. Uh, and he just needed some time for his skills to catch up with his, you know, his body and his athleticism. So uh, since he's been in the pros, I mean, I've seen mostly highlights. I don't, no offense to our, our guest, Tony, I don't watch a ton of Pacers games from start to finish. Um, but I think the fact that Glenn has started to develop a, a jump shot and a, a consistent three point shot, particularly in the corner, um, could serve him really well because he's got the physical tools, I think, to be a rotation guy. You know, that, that might be his ceiling. Uh, you know, like eighth man, ninth man might be his ceiling. But, um, you know, all things considered, I like it. It's, it's a very team-friendly contract, as you mentioned, you know, below the mini mid-level team option on the second year. Um, that's fantastic for a team that's in the, you know, the financial cap situation that the Pistons are in. So, yeah, young guy with upside team-friendly contract brings some skills to the table that the Pistons desperately need, especially given the fact that he's really the only second um, true small forward on the roster. So, uh, obviously, fills a need. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, I'd give it a, I'd give it a B-plus for sure. Tony, does uh, the improvement in skill – from college to uh, the pros kind of square what you've seen of him in Indianapolis? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think he kind of got overhyped from indie fans because uh, in 2016-17, he started 27 games, and he did okay in those steads, but pretty much it was just that he was better than Monte Ellis, which wasn't hard to do that year. Um, but you did see a lot of improvement in skills from him, mostly from shooting behind the three-point line. Um, before he came to Indiana, he was like a 30% three-point shooter, uh, and he shot 39% in Indiana, and that was the biggest thing in skills for him was figuring that out. Um, and a lot of that was, as I think you tweeted this, uh, his corner three-point shooting is just off the charts good. Uh, last year it was 62.5%, which is just nuts. So uh, he really figured out what he's good at, and the Pacers are really good at getting guys who are developing to own specific skills that they have, um, and they really got him going from the corners, and that, that became one of his staples. So... How does he, Tony, how does he fit in in Detroit? Uh, how does he fit in uh, around kind of the, the Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond uh, triumvirate in your mind? You know, defensively, is I think where he fits in the best, if we're being honest. Um, Andre Drummond obviously cannot guard on the perimeter at all. Um, Blake Griffin is what he is. He, he used to be able to, I think, post injuries. He's a little worse at it. And Reggie Jackson can't guard wings because he's too small. Um so I think like Stanley Johnson, Robinson's biggest thing fitting in with those guys is that he can defend the perimeter really well. Um, what I liked about him a lot in Indiana is he was far and away the best wing at uh, lateral movement on D. You know, a lot of like they, a lot of guys could move up and down and stay with their guy. But as soon as there was a crossover, they were just flummoxed. Um, but Robinson could actually stay in front of those guys driving to the rim, which which made him so nice when when that kind of stuff happened. And I think that that could help uh, in Detroit quite a bit, especially when Stanley's out of the game. Um, you know, having that kind of defense will really help uh and he can force guys into into drummond when when things go awry which is good uh offensively like i said the corners he can he can just chill out and spot up he's a big spacing magnet basically which will be really helpful i think reggie jackson is underrated at getting to the rim and obviously blake griffin's really good at it too uh it just gives everybody more space to operate and the other skill he's really good at uh is cutting um he's really smart about timing his cuts and just knowing when to do it when his man sags off um, and with a guy like Jackson, who's good at finding the open man in that situation, I think that they'll gel really nicely. So, Ben, I know you're, you haven't been a huge fan of Stanley Johnson, especially on the offensive end. Uh, do you think there's a chance that we see Glenn Robinson III start for this team? Man, that's such a good question. I mean, I think it's unlikely. I think, um, you know, the, the new Pistons brass has talked pretty highly of, of Stanley Johnson 
And I think, you know, Dwayne Casey, I think he's going to bring some new things to the table in terms of offensive scheming. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that that brings out the best in Stanley Johnson's offense. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking it's unlikely we see a switch in terms of who's starting at small forward. Um, but I do think it gives them a very different option. I'm, I'm anxious to look at um, Glenn's defense and Tony's comments are very much appreciated on that front because I, I definitely see Glenn as having the physical tools to defend um, on the perimeter, but he's a very different sort of build than Stanley Johnson. So if he can defend at a level that's close to Stanley, but he can knock down the three consistently, you know, maybe he's not pushing Stanley out of the rotation or out of the starting lineup, but uh, he's pushing Stanley for minutes and pushing Stanley to be better. And that's a win for everybody, right? Because if Glenn performs well, you bring him back in the second year of his contract on the cheap and you've got two young small forwards with a lot of upside who are competing against each other, you know, fighting for the spot on the roster, right? Fighting for who's going to be the guy long-term. So, yeah, I mean, starting seems unlikely to me, especially early, but it'll be great to have another shooter on the depth chart who, like Tony mentioned, he's not going to have to handle the ball, right? He can sort of spot up, move without the ball. And, you know, that's one of the things he did really well at Michigan, especially was move along the baseline. Uh, So he, you know, the, the lob from Trey Burke as, as Trey penetrated and, and Glenn drove baseline was a staple of that offense. Uh, so, and that's something that Stanley doesn't necessarily do. So, uh, yeah, offensively, I'm super excited about, about those possibilities, um, you know, but kind of thinking Stanley probably just by default uh, has the edge as a starter. So I think Glenn Robinson actually ends up starting with this team simply because he fits in better with the starting lineup. If you remember last year, uh, a lot of what Stanley's struggles were orientated around was him being unable to knock down open shots in the starting lineup and being kind of unable to find his his role uh, within the starting lineup within that group of guys. Glenn seems like a ready-made guy to to fit in next to to Reggie and Blake, especially a guy who just like defends, uh, knocks down open shots, and and cuts when appropriate. He just seems like a a version of Reggie Bullock that can guard like actually that can actually guard small forwards. And I think that's pretty much exactly what the, what the Pistons needed uh, in their starting lineup. And I think that Stanley not starting will be good for him as well. Uh, he seems a lot more comfortable when he gets to handle the ball a little bit more. That's something he won't get to do if he's playing with the starters, but that's something that he probably will get to do if he's playing with mostly bench lineups. And I think, I think that will proved to be a good fit for both of them in time now like you said ben uh the coaching staff and front offices uh displayed themselves to be very high on stanley johnson coming in so i don't know if that if uh if coming in super high on him and then benching him is is what the the right message that he's going to take from that but uh, i think that that's what we see eventually and i think that works out pretty well for for both guys um, so Tony on locked on Pacers yesterday, you talked about how uh, you thought, you know, without the injury, Glenn Robinson, the third could have been like an $8 million player. If he had played at the same level, he played, uh, the season before for 60, 70 games. So that basically like functionally puts him like where Joe Harris is like Joe Harris got, I think two for 16. Yeah. So like in a vacuum, uh, if you're not the Pistons, if you're not the Pacers, you're just like a regular NBA team. Uh, would you rather have like uh, Glenn Robinson the third at like two for eight, Joe Harris at two for sixteen, or like Doug McDermott at three for twenty-two? Uh, I think Glenn Robinson's the best player of the group you just said, and he got the least guaranteed money and a team option. 
So <laughs> take that for what it's worth. Um, I think Harris is a better shooter and dribbler, and I think McDermott is a better shooter and might have a little more basketball IQ, but I think uh, Robinson is the best overall player of that group. So him getting the least money is fascinating. And I'm, I mean, it's almost certainly because he didn't play much last year and the injury diminished his value so much, but you know, he played 23 games. I'd say probably the first 10 to 15 of them, his role was pretty limited. Uh, they had him spotting up a lot more, um, but he really showed that he can still do some stuff off the dribble in the last eight or 10 when they really let him loose and they kind of knew their playoff seating already. Um, I mean, in 2016, when he won that dunk contest, everyone kind of learned that this dude was some freak athlete who could actually do some stuff. And I remember the exact play um, was against the Warriors. They had him come off a screen, and he hit a one dribble fadeaway over Kevin Durant from the wing. It was sweet. Um, and I think from that point on, they kind of really released him as more of a ball handler and showed that he can do some stuff. Um, and then that alone makes me think he's more valuable than both Joe Harris and uh, Doug McDermott. So getting him uh, for two for eight with team option in case it doesn't work out and I'm completely wrong, uh, that's just – insane that's a great deal ben i know you are a a pretty big fan of joe harris uh would you do you agree with tony's assessment i think obviously doug mcdermott is the the low-hanging fruit of those three guys and he got the most money which is sort of the opposite irony of the glenn robinson deal um yeah i mean i i think it's probably close to a push in my mind but um a lot of this because we just hardly saw Glenn Robinson play last year, right? I mean, he sort of had that really solid season in 16-17. Tony mentioned the dunk contest. Um, and I think he just fell completely off of people's radar unless you're, you know, a, a former Michigan fan or, you know, you're watching in Michigan or you're watching a lot of Pacers games because, you know, as Tony mentioned, by the end of the season, people just really weren't paying attention. Um but yeah, I mean, it's pretty close to a push for me, but Glenn's going to have a chance to maybe turn the tables because you, you just have to expect, given the Pistons roster, that he's going to get a lot of minutes if for no other reason than, than by necessity, right? It's him and Stanley. Those are your two pure small forwards. And, you know, if he does play up to his potential, if he's fully healthy and he's got more game off the bounce like Tony's talking about, um, it, it just looks better and better. That that two two for eight looks like obviously the best of those three small forwards for sure. So Tony, if we were seeing like all this burgeoning off the dribble game from Glenn Robinson and he was like still a, a deadly shoot, a shooter from the corners, why wasn't he in the rotation for the play, for the Pacers in the playoffs? They just loved the short rotation. And uh, I think they were really enamored by what Bojan Bogdanovich brought to the team. I mean, he basically won them a playoff game. By no, understandably. Seven. Yeah. But like behind him, yeah, they just had Lance be the backup wing for everything. <laughs> um, and I, I I, think Robinson did lose a step, you know, and he wasn't fully integrated. And a big story with the Pacers last year was um, the, the chemistry and that everybody was gelling together on the court. And I think they were worried about if, you know, if he was playing big minutes or in the rotation more, you know, that could screw that up. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so, Ben, uh, him, we've talked about Glenn Robinson We've talked about Stanley Johnson. Those are really the only two true small forwards on the roster. Uh, we think Reggie Bullock can play a little bit of small forward. Uh, we think maybe a guy like a Bruce Brown or a Kyrie Thomas can can play that role in some three-guard lineups. Uh, but we have a report from Rod Beard that the Pistons are, are looking to trade uh, one of their uh, their backup guards, one of Langston Galloway or Ish Smith or John Lohr. I don't think John Lohr gets traded. No one wants John Lohr. Uh, so, so, Ben... Uh, should the Pistons be looking to add another wing player to uh, to their 
to their roster. I know wing is such a huge, important uh, position of, of strength in the NBA right now. And the Pistons really only have two and uh, they really only have like one. They have a half a guy you can trust. We don't know what to expect from Glenn Robinson. And we know that Stanley Johnson has proven himself to not be kind of starter level at this point. So, so the Pistons like buy, take out another insurance policy on the wing. I think the the one remaining need to me is backup power forward. I, actually, I think you know Reggie Bullock's health is a concern, but he can play small forward in a lot of situations, right? Like against bigger small forwards, he's going to struggle, but he can defend most small forwards, especially as the NBA goes small. And Stanley Johnson is not without you know his offensive deficiencies, but. He can certainly play minutes, especially if you can get him out in transition a little bit. Um, but to me, like you've got Blake Griffin, a guy who's had pretty serious injury concerns over the last you know year and a half or so. Um, obviously, he's going to play big minutes whenever he's healthy. But you know, to me, the question is like, how much do you want to bank on John Luer being able to give you fifteen to eighteen minutes a night of quality basketball? given what we've seen from him in Detroit. So, you know, Anthony Tolliver was kind of our, our, our long shot, right? That's what we were all hoping he'd come back. It looks like, you know, the last I looked at Twitter, he was on his way to Minnesota. And I think we even have something on the blog at this point about that. Um, but to me, you have to find another big um, because I, I just don't trust John Luer. And I, I think I trust him quite a bit less than I trust Stanley Johnson at this point. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get to the backup power forward situation in a second, Ben. But I wanna I wanna ask Tony the same question. Uh, with with wings just being at a very high priority in the NBA right now, uh, do you think the Pistons should, with your knowledge of the Pistons roster, do you think they should be looking to, to kind of swap one of Ish Smith or Langston Galloway for another wing, another backup Ish? Um, wing? yeah, with wings at the premium, you know, I think the Celtics might even try four wings at once next year. Like the Warriors basically roll out three wings in their best lineup, you know. Uh, maybe not anymore, um, but they, you know the teams are always chasing more wings just because they can switch on D, which seems to be the way that defensive schemes are moving more. And they tend to be better shooters. They have length. You know, they just have a lot of the stuff that teams are uh, deciding now has a lot of value. And I, I, you know, I don't think you can ever have too many wings. And I think uh, if you really like the Calderon signing, you know, if you think Calderon can be ninety percent of the player Ish Smith is, then trading Ish Smith for a wing, you know, never hurts to have more depth on that position. So I, I would advocate for something like that if it was possible. All right. So now, now we're going to get to the end of Anthony Tolliver, who signed a one-year uh, deal for I think slightly above the mini mid level to uh, go back to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, this ends the the Tollivers in Detroit, which is like a huge sadness to all of us at Detroit Bad Boys. We all love Anthony Tolliver. Um, this also means that the the kind of the parachute plan behind a a uh, an injured Blake Griffin is a combination of John Luer and Henry Ellenson, which is definitely uh, I don't think a situation that anyone in Detroit uh, wants to be in. Uh, ben, do you think Henry Ellenson is kind of is ready for that kind of responsibility? Uh, even even like 20 minutes a night at backup power forward, not to say nothing of what his responsibilities would be if uh, Blake Griffin were to get hurt. Yeah, so, okay, let's look at it this way. Let's assume that Henry Ellenson makes about as much progress between last season and next season as he made the prior summer. That's, right? that's fair, that's fair. So let's assume that amount of progress. If we assume that amount of progress, then – Henry Ellenson is absolutely the last guy in the rotation, right? Like he's your 15th guy off the bench. 
not because he can't down, knock down an open shot every once in a while, but he can, but he is just so overmatched physically right now against NBA power forwards. I, I mean, he's going to have to gain 20 pounds. He's going to have to improve his lateral foot speed. Uh, he's going to have to learn how to box out, especially against bigger and taller guys who can jump higher than him. And he's going to have to be way more consistent on offense because he certainly had his streaky hot streaks where, you know, he got in and wowed us for, for six minutes at a time. But then he'd have 12 to 18 minutes of, you know, absolutely not quality basketball at all. Um, so, no, I mean, I'm not confident in Henry Ellenson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I'm, in fact, I'm so not confident in him that I didn't even bring him up when I talked about backing up Blake Griffin because he's just not on my radar as an option, um, which is why I kind of I said before, I, I, I think you've got to find some other big, right, because you've got. Lure, Ellenson, and Moreland right now, currently. That's your backup big rotation. And, you know, Moreland, he won a lot of us over, right, in terms of his defense, in terms of his rebounding. And I, I'm going to be cheering for the guy. But no offensive game whatsoever. I really think either Lure has to play like he did in Phoenix a couple years back before the Pistons signed him, or you're going to have to have some sort of insurance plan who can maybe play a little bit of five, maybe play a little bit of four, depending on your matchups. Um, otherwise, you're just you're really, really betting a lot on Blake Griffin not missing ten to twelve games. Yeah, as I'm thinking of John Lure in terms of uh, being a backup center and kind of playing alongside Ellenson in that way, only because um, I think otherwise the the bench will be so limited offensively. Um, whether Luke Kennard or Reggie Bullock starts, like those, those, but neither one of those guys are guys I would rely on to create offense, like even for a bench unit. Um, Ish, we, we've seen Ish Smith uh, be an effective backup point guard, but, uh, you know, second half three-point shooting mirage, like notwithstanding, uh, defenses still don't respect him from the perimeter. Um, Stanley Johnson's a non-shooter. And so I think having two bigs who are ostensibly shooters, who, who are known around the league as shooters, kind of helps the spacing of the bench unit a little bit. And, and you know, if you're playing Moreland, you're playing three non-shooters at the same time, and that's just death in in the NBA in 2018. So that's what I'm thinking about when I'm th- when I'm thinking about uh, Henry Ellenson like playing a big role in this team, not necessarily um him supplanting John Lure, but him you know complimenting him. Yeah, and I mean, there's like you know what do I hope for out of Henry Ellenson, and what do I feel like I can reasonably expect, right? And it's kind of the same same thing we've talked about over the last couple of years with Stanley Johnson. Like we all see flashes of him being a significantly better player on offense. But until you do it for 20 or 30 games in a row, it's really hard to bank anything on that. So again, Henry's still so young. Stanley's still so young as well. You know, maybe another year of summer league does, you know, does Ellenson a lot of good, right? Maybe he does beef up and learn how to defend better because obviously his strength was three point shooting. I mean, he was practically as good from behind the line as inside of it. Um, you know, so if you can sort of exploit that strength, then yeah, maybe he does have, you know, some spot minutes here and there, if not something consistent. Yeah. Okay. So that's as much as I like really wanted to talk about Henry Ellenson. <laughs> <laughs> so there was uh, there was one more free agent signing uh, today. The uh, the Pistons brought in Jose Calderon on a one year minimum deal. Um, Jose Calderon was apparently like really good on offense last year in Cleveland, which was something that was surprising to me. Um, Tony, you probably have a little bit more of a perspective on Calderon as a guy who, uh, watches a little bit more of the league than, uh, that Ben and I, uh, what, what do you think, uh, Calderon can contribute, uh, to Detroit? 
I think Calderon, you know, everybody knows how good of a shooter he is. Did you know he shot 46% last year? Like, that's crazy good. I did not know yeah, that. 46.4% last year. Uh, the totals, because I'm stupid, 45 out of 97 last year. I know that's a very small amount of attempts, but, you know, you he's a 41% career shooter. Like, you know he can do this. Um, and I, if you recall the year in Toronto, he hit 98% of his free throws. You know, this dude can absolutely stroke it. Um, so I, I think on that regard, you know, you like having a point guard like that who you who can operate off ball. And I think that might be kind of the appeal for the Pistons is he would fit good with Blake creating out of the post a little bit. Um, and with Drummond's improved passing also, I think you, you have a fit there that Reggie Jackson doesn't offer as much as less good shooter. Um, so I think just on three point shooting, you're getting something out of Calderon that, that is a benefit to the team for sure. But defensively he is atrocious. Um, that's not a secret. He's what? 37. Now does he turn 37 next year? Is he already, I don't remember, but he's old. Um, so he's, he's not very quick, you know, defensively, he's not going to give you much, but I think offensively his fit with the two bigs who are so good at passing, uh, will be, will be a great fit. So, uh, Ben, what do you, uh, what do you make of, uh, the signing of Jose Calderon? My immediate reaction was if this could have happened five years ago, like literally five years ago, he, he closed out the season for the Pistons in 2013. I would have been so happy because he was such a fantastic fit for that roster he shot 52 or 53 percent from deep for the pistons to close out that season um but man he's 37 um yeah i I have to think that you're if he's in the game plan he's the kind of guy who's in the game plan very situationally and you've planned it out very strategically right so you're using him maybe you avoid using him on the front end of a back-to-back and you use him sporadically on the second half of a back-to-back or something like that um, the points about him being an off-the-ball point guard are absolutely correct. I think that's why he his numbers were so good in Cleveland last season because he could, you know, LeBron could literally do everything and kick it out to Calderon or, you know, a hockey assist comes out to Calderon and he can just stand there and knock down shots. Uh, but Tony's points about defense, I think, are absolutely 100% correct. Um, so I see Calderon as just a situational player that you're using when, um, you know, the point in the schedule is right and the matchup is right. And maybe he's playing 50 to 60 games for you, kind of like he did in, in Cleveland last season. And his minutes are down and they're in shorter stretches. And you're still kind of thinking Ish Smith is your primary backup for better or worse. Yeah, I'm I'm everything that Tony was saying when he was speaking about Jose Calderon uh, just reminded me of kind of uh, a version of Langston Galloway that's more able to run an offense. And so I, I see the, the vision of what Calderon can accomplish, but I wonder uh, why he couldn't, why Langston Galloway couldn't fulfill that role or why he, he couldn't be that guy for the Pistons. And it's because, you know, Langston uh, can't run. He could never run sets like Jose. Uh, like Jose, he, uh, he's, just, he's a really deadly like spot-up threat, and I think he's a better uh, defender than Jose would be but, uh, and a better like handoff guy. But he was never consistent enough offensively, especially with a ball in his hands, to the point where uh, he would be he'd be used in that manner. Uh, so for me, the the Calderon signs are a little, a little frustrating. I think there were there were better guys out there for the veterans minimum. Um, I think this this necessitates the the cutting of Dwight Bikes, a guy that I'm not a huge fan of, but a, a useful player and a player I think uh, the. I, th- I don't. I don't know if I like him better than Jose Calderon or not, but uh, I. Th- I think that uh, you know, being cheaper is is uh, is a nice alternative. 
And so I'm just I'm a little I'm a little frustrated by the uh, by the inability of the Pistons front office to come up with a, a more creative solution to to the point guard slot because as as you well know Ben like the the Pistons season has hinged on the health of Reggie Jackson for the last two years and so if we're in a space where Reggie Jackson is hurt again and we're compelled to start you know Jose Calderon or, or Ish Smith for twenty games for thirty games that's not uh, a position I want to be in uh, as a Pistons fan. And I think that will be a, a failure of the Ed Stefanski-led uh, front office to learn uh, some of the lessons of the Stan Van Gundy era front office is that you need to have a a more, you need to have a better uh, backup option available to you in case of uh, an injury to Reggie Jackson. And I don't think uh, Jose Calderon qualifies as that. Um I don't know if the Pistons could have secured a guy like a Seth Curry who uh, got, I think, a little bit more than Jose Calderon um, to play for Portland. Um, I don't know if Seth Curry would have been uh, comfortable being the uh, third guard in Detroit. But uh, I do know that, you know, guys like uh, Malcolm Delaney and and Shelvin Mack were were still out there, guys who can who can run an offense and, and knock down open threes and are a little bit better defensively and uh, Mac and Delaney both started at times for their respective teams. Their respective teams were both terrible, but you know they st- they started <laughs> capably uh, in the NBA for for four stretches. And you know Calderon started fifty seven games or whatever, but he was next to LeBron and he didn't really have to do a whole bunch on offense. And so the the inability of the Pistons front office to kind of think outside the box on that on that front leaves me uh, a little bit with something to be desired. I'll say that much. All right. Um, so, so Tony, we've, we've got you on. Uh, we want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Pacers who have had, who I guess before the, the off season start or the uh, free agency period started, had one of the more uh, interesting um, situations in the league. They could have created up to what, like 35 million in space, give or take. Yeah. Depending. They could, they had the control to clear up to like 26 million, but uh, if Fatty Sung had opted out, it could have gone up to like 38. And, and so what they've ended up doing with that is uh, retaining a lot of different guys. Um, they waived Al Jefferson today to, fl- to clear up what, six mil? You, yep. yeah, okay. And then uh, they brought back Corey Joseph, Daddy Young opted in. Um, they, they brought in Doug McDermott at the aforementioned three for 22. And uh, there's there's a rumor out there about Tyreek Evans signing for one year, twelve million. We'll we'll see if that's true or not by the time this podcast is live. But uh, so with with the I guess with the realm of available available options available to the Pacers, uh, how have they been operating so far in your mind? Um, I like the player Doug McDermott. I don't like the value for that player Doug McDermott. Um, I like that he can shoot really well. Of course, he's six eight, so he can play some four if they need him to. Um, and I like that he's really similar in terms of play style to Bojan Bogdanovic. I think that is an underrated part of that uh, is that they don't have to change scheme at all if they sub uh, any small forward in, which is really good. And it's never bad to have a good shooter. So you know, I'm, I'm cool with a lot of that. Um, I don't like three for twenty two though. Like I just said, I feel like the opportunity cost of wasting almost $7 million on Doug McDermott on day one is kind of bad. Um, and I don't think he would have gotten that offer somewhere else. But I do like Zach Lowe's theory of why it was that much being that it's just over the tax pyramid level. Um, but overall, you know, I, I think he's a 
good enough fit that I won't be so mad about this uh, at points during the season. You know, it's a very small percentage of the cap. It's how much. It's basically how much the cap's going up next year. Uh, so it's not like so ass nine or anything like that. But you know, you would the opportunity cost is the bad part, and you'd have liked to see them wait more. Uh, if the Tyreek Evans rumors are real. I like Tyreek Evans. Uh, I think they need a ball handler when Oladipo's out of the game. Uh, and Lance Stevenson was that guy last year, and he stunk. So uh, having, having Tyreek will be incredibly nice. But the problem with him is, you know, what's he going to play? Because he gets hurt seemingly every year, um, and he's kind of inconsistent, you know. So what Tyreek are you getting? How much of him are you getting? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see if that actually goes down. But I like that it's a one-year deal with him because of all those risks. So uh, we'll have to see how it shakes out, but I would like that move. So, so Ben, when you're when you're thinking about the pit, the teams, the Pistons are are uh, going up against to improve their standing in the Eastern Conference and like make the playoffs next year. Like, where are the Pacers like on that list for you? So let me let me answer that question by putting Tony on the spot with a question, and hopefully it's a pretty easy one. Do you think it's kind of a two part question? Do you think last season for the Pacers was at all a fluke? So in other words, like, are they really that good? Are they close to a 50-win team? And then, two, based on sort of the adjustments they've made on the, the outside of the rotation, did they get better? Did they stay the same, or did they get worse? Yeah. Um, so I think for, for your first question, uh, they had the point differential. I, I want to say a 44-43 win team. They were really good in the clutch because Victor Oladipo was so good in the clutch. Um, so I don't know if they were quite a 50-win team. Um, but I will say that, you know, I, I, you hear this quote a million times, that it's a star-driven league, and the way to be good is to get a star. Well, they got one, and they got one for a long time, and I think that that makes it easy for them to, to think that they're actually really good. You know, they have a guy who just made all-defense first team, all-NBA third team. Um, you know, he's he's a stud, and that that's going to drive the team to success in those clutch situations year after year. So I think they are as good as their record suggested. You know, I know at first it seemed like there's no way that's going to keep up, but once you realize how good Victor Oladipo is, um, it's, it's clear that they could be that good. Um, and against the Cavs, you saw what they can be at their, at their complete peak, like two LeBron buzzer beaters really was what it took to sunk them. Um, and as for improvements, uh, I will say, uh, regardless of McDermott, I would say addition by subtraction because Lance Stevenson is terrible. Um, so it's going to be fantastic to not have him around next year at the backup two. Um, and the thing is uh, for him too, he didn't, he just didn't fit with anybody. Um, he fit the best with Darren Collison in terms of players because that was someone taking the ball out of his hands. But when he played with Corey Joseph, he had the ball too much. Um, so now I think if you have McDermott or even Tyreek there or someone, you know, I think that a, that's a, an improvement because the player's better than Lance, but B it's an improvement because it's not Lance, you know, addition by subtraction in that regard. So I think they will get better. Um, but you know, their point differential suggests they weren't a 48 win team. So maybe the same amount of wins next year could be a realistic option. So Tony, I want you. I I know why you think Lance is bad because we've talked about this. <laughs> but uh, for the audience that is maybe perhaps a little bit more casual, who uh, who sees Lance through the prism of uh, you know short uh, short clips and uh, funny gifs and stuff, wh- why why was Lance Stevenson so bad for the Pacers last year? Uh, I'll start it with a relatable Pistons stat. If that's okay, okay. let's do that. Uh, Henry Ellenson shot 4% better from three-point range than Lance Stevenson last year. Oh, 4.5% better, yes. Um, and Lance took over 200 threes, if I'm correct. Yes, 232. Ellenson took 60. So a high volume of bad shooting uh, from Lance Stevenson uh, is the big number one thing on the list. 
Uh, 15% turnover rate. Um, on the road, he's just not as good of a player. Uh, he's just not as confident doing his antics. That you know, those are things that that make him so val. That 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 is where his value lies. Is like when he does a crazy play that you see the the gif of, or you say gif, whatever. Um, you see the crazy play, and that changes the game. Like that should almost be a clutch play, right? Because it completely shifts the mentality of every player. You know, the arena is different. Like that that stuff changes the whole game so fast, and that's where his value is. And that's why everyone says his value is not in the stat sheet, and that's true. But he does so many negative things, and it's just so hard to – it's so easy to overlook them. Excuse me. Uh, it's so easy to overlook them when he's doing, you know, figure eights with the ball before driving on Frank Nilakina or doing an air guitar or blowing LeBron's ear. You know, like it's so much It's so much easier to see those things than the terrible things he does on the court, and that's why his value is such a negative when he plays. I, I like that. His, uh, his negative value is invisible. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's very visible. You just are ignoring it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Ben, uh, do you have anything, you have anything else? I'm done. I'm good. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? We haven't really talked. No, you just, you asked me like, you know, the Pistons leapfrog the Pacers, I think yeah, is kind of yeah. what you're driving at in terms of the playoff hunt. I would have said no before Tony articulated that. And I think I like Sabonis and Turner a lot too. Those are two young players who I think, um, you got to expect some internal development too. And I don't think that Oladipo has hit his ceiling just yet either so to me they're a team that's going up right so philly and indy are the two teams that i think are still rising boston has the potential to rise as well i think if the pistons are looking to leapfrog anybody obviously cleveland's more than likely going to blow it up and rebuild so you've got a target there miami i'm not sure what to think of them i didn't believe in them this year and they proved me wrong um and then washington is the other team that you know i just don't know what they're gonna do um so, yeah, I think maybe the Pistons can sneak into the 6, 7, 8 seed, um, but I don't think they're going to do so because Indiana falls off. I think they're moving in the, the right direction with, with a lot of really nice young talent. That's fair. I know uh, Washington starting Jan Mahimni at center is something that's, that's really intriguing <laughs> hey, 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 to me. Former Pacer Jan Mahimni. Do not slander this. Yeah, uh, overpaid former Pacer Jan Mahimni. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to envision that conversation where Mahini goes up to Larry Bird and says, hey, uh, Washington just offered me four for 64 if you want to give me something close to that. And Larry Bird just starts cracking up. Like, you got to be kidding. He just shakes his hand and says, you know, thank you for your service. Like, Good luck in D.C., man. Yeah, yeah. It's like, have fun, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, ben, what's the, uh, what's the best way for people to talk to you about uh, upcoming summer league games and for them to defend Henry Allenson? <laughs> hit me up on twitter i do not ever get to watch any summer league basketball except for the uh the highlights which is probably just as well um, you don't get to dvr it no i you know, i cut the cord man yeah so i i typically hit the highlights and read the read the coverage on the blog um you know like it, I, I think also part of it is if summer league meant anything austin day would already be in the hall of fame right <laughs> That is how dominant he was in summer league and never, ever cracked the rotation. So, I mean, it's fun to watch, but oh, it's so hard to draw any conclusions from it. So, uh, but yeah, let me know if you watch, let me know on Twitter. Let me know if Ellenson shows up. Also, let me know if Kennard plays any point because there's lots of rumors floating around that we might see him at, at some point guard this year. And I am not at all convinced that's a good idea. Um, so yeah, let me know on Twitter. We are Golker on Twitter. So being good in summer league is like any it ranges anywhere from bad to good. Being bad in summer league is usually a sign that you're pretty bad. 
I like that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right, Tony, what's the uh, what's the best way for people to yell at you about Lance Stevenson? <laughs> uh, please do. Uh, just do it at on my Twitter at T East NBA. I try to respond to everybody, which is proving to be a bad idea, but I don't want to be the guy who doesn't respond to people. So hit me up on there. Uh, I'm Lazarus Jackson. You can uh, yell at me for misevaluating Stanley Johnson at Laz Chance uh, on Twitter. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and uh, we will talk to you guys sometime in the future. I don't know when. See ya. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.